One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Okay, Here so we go. Sports Podcast. It is Monday, March 8th, 2021, people. And I got to tell you, this is my single favorite week of the year. I love the opening week of the NCAA tournament. But when you look at conference championship week, wall-to-wall basketball, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we get our bracket. I don't think there's a better week on the sports calendar than championship week. And basically, this entire episode will be dedicated to previewing conference championship week. I think at this point, to look back on the past weekend doesn't really make sense. You don't need me at this point in the year to tell you that Duke basketball stinks because they lost to North Carolina. Or that Baylor is really good because they ran Texas Tech out of the gym. By now, we know those storylines. And so what I want to do, I want to spend most of this episode looking ahead to the week that is. It is going to be a really fun week of college basketball. We'll preview all the major conference championships, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Big East, et cetera, et cetera, on and on and on. And then from there, I will take a quick break and I will welcome in a very special guest. His name is... Preston Spratlin. He is the head coach of Moorhead State. Moorhead State clinched their first NCAA tournament bid on Saturday. They were the second team to clinch an NCAA tournament bid, first via conference tournament. Liberty was technically already in the tournament by default, but Moorhead State clinches a conference championship, and Preston Spratlin will join me on the back end of the show. Really fun interview with the Moorhead State head coach. So yeah, it's going to be a great show, and I am really excited to get started here. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, many of you are listening via the KSR feed. As I told you a few weeks ago, we we have uh, put a few episodes on the KSR feed just to get you guys going for March. So if you're not subscribed on the Aaron Torres feed, make sure to do so really easy. Just click that subscribe button, and all the episodes will be sent to you. You can do it on iTunes the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. On YouTube, you can find me, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you do have questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's get into the meat of the show because, as I said, it is maybe the best week on the sports calendar, conference championship weeks. I love it. It really did start last week with the Moorhead States and schools like that winning their conference tournaments. But when I look at what we get in conference championship week, as I said before, wall-to-wall basketball, basically from noon to after midnight, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it just doesn't get better than that. So many teams, so many games, so many good teams playing each other, right? Like Baylor is probably going to have to go through three NCAA tournament teams on Thursday, Friday, Saturday to win the Big Ten, Big 12 title. The Big Ten tournament is going to be absurd. The SEC title is going to be absurd. And so because of it, 
I love this week. And so let's get into it. I want to preview all six major conferences, the ACC, Big East, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12, and SEC. Maybe do a minute or two on the Mountain West, whatever. But the point is, I want to get to all of the major conferences, what you need to know, storylines to follow, betting advice, all of that good stuff. And let's start with the ACC, where Florida State is the slight favorite, according to my bookie. By the way, if you ever want to bet, go to my bookie, use promo code Torres, and they will double your first deposit. So you want to bet 25 bucks on uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks in their SEC tournament opener, go to my bookie. They will double your first deposit uh, with promo code Torres. But with that said, Florida State is the favorite here, even though Virginia was the regular season conference champs. And that kind of leads me to what I believe is the single biggest storyline heading into the ACC tournament, and that is this. Well, there's two, really. We'll get to the second one, which is obviously Duke. But the first one, as far as I'm concerned, is very simply this. How good are all these teams? Because, look, we all love the ACC and the history and the tradition that comes with it, but we all know that Duke is down, North Carolina is down, and when I look across this conference, I just don't know how good all of these teams are. You look at Florida State, I love what Leonard Hamilton has done, but you go back their last five games away from Tallahassee, they're two and three straight up, uh, including a loss to a bad Notre Dame team. Virginia lost three in a row late in the season, bounced back, played well late. Everybody else, I mean, Clemson, Virginia Tech, how good are those teams, let alone the bottom of the league, which absolutely stinks with Boston College and Notre Dame and Pitt and everybody like that. And so the first thing, my biggest question coming into this is just how good are any of these teams and the ones that did show some limitations and did struggle late, like a Virginia, like a Florida State, do they turn things around and get hot going into the NCAA tournament? Because right now, the way that I look at this conference, I don't know that there is a national championship contender among them unless somebody can get hot and prove something to me going forward. The second biggest storyline going into the ACC tournament, I think we all know what it is. I think it's Duke basketball. They're sitting at 11-11 and 11 after that loss to North Carolina, second loss to North Carolina this season, and they're just not playing very well right now. And they have basically played themselves from completely off the bubble. They get hot after Jalen Johnson quits the team, and then they've played themselves back off the bubble here over the last couple weeks. And so when I look at them, they actually open the, the ACC tournament, excuse me, with a game against Boston College on Tuesday. So there are a couple games Tuesday to start the conference tournament. And then if they win that, they would have to play Louisville. Louisville would be getting a bye into Wednesday. And then even if they win on Wednesday, they have to play Virginia Tech on Thursday. And so you're going to be playing Boston College and then two teams that would have buys uh, play in the games that you played them. And so I think Duke, to get an NCAA tournament bid, has to win at least three games in the ACC tournament to even be in consideration. If they won three and then lost in the semifinals, that would be 14 and 12 overall. They would add wins over Louisville and Virginia Tech to their resume. And I think at that point, they are at least back on the bubble. I don't know that beating Boston College to open the conference tournament does anything for them. I don't even know that beating Louisville gets them on the right side of the bubble. I think they need to at least beat Louisville and Virginia Tech just to be in the conversation, let alone to actually get into the NCAA tournament. In terms of bubble teams in the ACC, well, it's pretty interesting. I, I mean, I just talked about Duke. I don't know that they're even really on the bubble at this point. 
but absolutely have to win a couple games. And Syracuse is another interesting one. They are in Joe Lenardi's first four out. They will open with NC State on Saturday, and or on uh, Wednesday, excuse me, and NC State is actually playing really well in their own right, uh, having won four in a row. Actually, I believe it's five in a row coming into the conference tournament, and they won't be an easy out. NC State at 13-9 and nine overall. It's actually five in a row. I was correct. NC State at 13-9 and nine overall. Maybe if they win a couple games, play themselves onto the bubble. And then other than that, I don't think that there's really anybody else in the ACC that's on the bubble. Uh, UNC, I, it feels like they're pretty safely off as we speak here. Beating Duke has them on the 8-9 line, according to Joe Lenardi. They are the sixth seed going to this tournament. They will play the winner of Notre Dame and Wake Forest on Wednesday. So I would suggest to North Carolina, win that game and you're in. Don't lose that game. Don't lose to North Carolina or Wake Forest and put yourself in position to be on the bubble. If UNC wins one game, I think they're comfortably in. In terms of the best bet on a future in the conference tournament, what I'm going to do for all these tournaments, give you a best bet. Uh, according to my bookie, the one that I like the most, so again, Florida State is the favorite at plus 210. Virginia is plus 330. My favorite bet is actually Georgia Tech plus 2,500. That means you bet $1, you win 25 back. You bet $100, you win 2,500. But Georgia Tech is plus twenty plus 2,500 or 25 to 1. And I do like Georgia Tech for a few reasons. First of all, believe it or not, Georgia Tech is actually the number four seed at the ACC tournament, which means that they get a double bye. They will not have to play until Thursday when the conference tournament opens on Tuesday. They have also beaten, how about this, Florida State, North Carolina, Clemson, Virginia Tech, and Duke. So they are the number four seed in this conference tournament. And in the regular season, they beat the two, three, two seed, the three seed, the five seed, and the six seed. I would also say they had Virginia beat at Virginia and ended up losing. And so I think you talk about a team that could make a run. Josh Pastner, I call him the shield because of that weird shield he wears on, wears on his face. But this team has played well over the course of the season. And because of it, I do believe that Georgia Tech is probably the long shot favorite to win the conference tournament. In terms of actually winning the conference tournament, though, listen, I'm going to go with Florida State. I do think that even though they have struggled away from Tallahassee, they will be playing here on a neutral court. They will be, I think, a little bit frustrated that they didn't win a second straight ACC regular season title. And obviously, we all know what happened last time they played Virginia. Uh, uh, the last time that they played Virginia, excuse me, during the regular season, if you remember, they absolutely dominated. And when you look at Virginia, look, I have respect for what Tony Bennett has done, but you go through all these years of success, one year after another after another, where they have been in contention. They have not been great at the ACC basketball uh, tournament, having won just twice since Tony Bennett has got there. They've won five regular season titles but they've only capped it off with two ACC tournament titles. As a matter of fact, the year they won the national championship, they didn't even win the ACC conference tournament. Didn't matter. They won the big one, the one that mattered. But I only bring it up to say that I do believe that Florida State, with that size, length, and athleticism, should be the favorite. Let's transition to the Big East, where Creighton comes into this one as the slight favorite at 2-1. to one. And I'm not totally sure that I agree with that. And that, to me, brings me to the single most fascinating question as it pertains to this conference tournament. And that is, very simply, what are we going to get out of 
the top two teams in this league. Because for virtually the entire year, it was Villanova Creighton, Villanova Creighton, Creighton Villanova, Villanova Creighton. Basically the last two years really. I mean, Seton Hall split the title with them last regular season. Villanova and Creighton uh, split it, or they were 1-2 all season this year. But coming in this conference tournament, both of those teams have major, major, major question marks. Obviously when it, when it comes to uh, Villanova, you look at Villanova, and we talked about it on Thursday's show, but but when, when I last talked to you guys, it was off that Villanova win over Creighton on Wednesday night, but Colin Gillespie, Villanova's starting point guard, went down with a knee injury. It looked bad. It did not look good. We saw tears in the stands. Jay Wright had a very emotional post-game commentary about it. Well, we find out that Colin Gillespie is now out for the season and will obviously not be playing in this conference tournament. They also, Justin Moore, another very important player to what they do, also went down with an injury in the season finale. And we saw what happens without those two guys. Uh, Villanova did lose at Providence to close the regular season. And so there is a reason that when it comes to the Vegas odds, or at least the odds at my bookie, Villanova, despite winning the regular season championship, is actually the third favorite in Vegas, or on my bookie, I really should say, to win the conference tournament, even though they won the regular season. The team that finished in second that is actually the favorite is Creighton, and what's really interesting with them is to try and figure out what we get out of them at this conference tournament. I talked about it on Wednesday's show. I don't want to overdo it, but there was obviously some interesting commentary from the head coach, Greg McDermott. Um, he crossed the line. He upset some people. I'll let you look into it if you want. Some of the players have come out and said he's my coach, I, that he has my back. But it's very clear that the issue is not resolved because Greg McDermott did, in fact, sit out of Creighton's regular season finale against Butler. Now, to Creighton's credit, the Blue Jays did, in fact, beat Butler and they are, in fact, going into this conference tournament as the slight favorite, but it's clear that whatever is going on, there is still some inner turmoil in that locker room, and then to take it a step further, we don't even know if their head coach is going to be there. And so when I look at the single biggest storyline in this conference tournament, I think it's the fact that the, the number one and number two seeds are not playing well at all, and the actual favorite, which we'll get into in a minute, might be UConn. And I'm not saying it because I'm a UConn alum, but this is a team that has now won... Coming into this conference tournament, six of seven games, the only game that they lost during that stretch was to Villanova at Villanova when Villanova was at full strength. And even since then, UConn has gotten better as, as I discussed on Thursday's episode. They have had a bunch of guys step up and play better down the stretch. Adama Sanogo, a big guy who is a freshman. RJ Cole, one of their starting guards, has been playing well. They have been getting contributions from across the board. And I think you can legitimately argue that there aren't really many teams across college basketball playing better than UConn, who has won six of their last seven coming into this one. In terms of the bubble, this is what you need to know. Xavier's in really, really, really deep you-know-what. They've lost four of their last six. They are currently in Joe Lenardi's last four in, but even winning one game won't do enough for uh, Xavier. They open with Butler, who finished in last place. Even if they win that game, 
I would think that they probably have to beat Creighton in the second round to feel comfortable uh, getting into the NCAA tournament. Creighton just beat them a few days, or excuse me, they just beat Creighton a few days ago. So you could argue that maybe Xavier gets a little confidence going into that one. But I think that's a tough matchup for them, assuming Creighton has Greg McDermott, their head coach. I just don't see the scenario where Xavier is in very good shape coming out of this conference tournament. Speaking of in bad shape, how about Seton Hall? Currently in Joe Lenardi's first four out, and I really don't even see how. They've now lost four in a row, including a game against St. John's. They were up 18-0 and ended up losing the game outright. St. John's was also playing without one of their key players, Posh Alexander. So those are the two marquee bubble teams. And I just mentioned St. John's. They are currently in the next four out for Joe Lenardi. And I'll be curious to see what happens with them. They're starting to play well. They're starting to uh, kind of get hot. But we know how Mike Anderson works sometimes, man. The good thing for um, for for St. John's, they do get a first-round bye, and they will play the same Seton Hall team they just beat. And so because of it, St. John's probably has to win, I would think, two games, beat Seton Hall. You're probably going to play Villanova in the next round. And because of it, I think you're in at that point. But that is the path for St. John's, and those are the bubble team. The best bets for this conference tournament. All right, let's talk bets really quick. My bookie has St. John's at 20 to 1. I think that's probably the smartest bet. You're playing Seton Hall. You're playing in the first round a team that you just beat, as I mentioned. In the second round, you are going to play a depleted Villanova team. If Villanova can even get by the Georgetown Marquette winner. And there is a pretty linear path for St. John's to the conference championship game. And you get them at the conference championship game, 20 to 1. Those aren't bad odds. But with that said, I do still think that probably the best odds, realistically, if we're being honest, are UConn. Plus 230, second behind Creighton. Because they are playing so well, they're maybe the only team in the Big East that appears to be peaking at this time of the season. Creighton dealing with off-the-court stuff, Villanova dealing with injuries. And I think at plus 230, UConn is probably the smartest bet, even if the odds aren't that great. And then when it comes to the winner of the conference tournament, I'm taking UConn. I'm taking UConn because I just think, like I just said, they are playing better than anybody right now. And I just don't see the scenario uh, where, where Villanova and Creighton are playing that well. And, and, and I think that UConn is probably the favorite going into this one. Let's transition to the Big 12, where I'm going to blow your socks off with this stat. Baylor comes in as the favorite. Yes, that's right, Baylor. Who could have ever guessed? Plus 120. And let's be honest, there, there is a, they're, like, we know why. They're incredible. They beat Texas Tech on Sunday. Macy O'Teague, who has struggled all year, ties, an, a, big, a, ties a Baylor record with 10 three-pointers made. And so if you're sitting there saying a guy that struggled all year, their fifth best three-point shooter, just made 10 threes in one game? Well, guess what? That means they're really good, and they should be the favorite, especially the way that they dominated down the stretch, beating Oklahoma State on Thursday, beating Texas Tech, beating West Virginia all in the final week of the season. In terms of the biggest storylines, I don't really know that there are that many. Uh, I look at this whole conference, and they are, as I record, going to have 10 teams in Kansas City, 
Seven of them are very comfortably in the NCAA tournament. And the other three, TCU, Iowa State, and Kansas State, are going to have to win the conference tournament to make the NCAA tournament. So there's not a ton of drama. There's not a ton of excitement. The closest thing that I can think of is that by technicality, we still don't really know what's going on with Oklahoma State. We've talked about it on the show since June. They were given a one-year postseason ban for some NCAA violations. They are appealing it. And Mike Boynton, their coach, came on this podcast about two, two and a half weeks ago and said, we have not heard. And as of right now, we're packing and planning on going to the Big 12 tournament in uh, Kansas City. And we're planning on going to, to the NCAA tournament after if we have a resume that warrants it. Clearly, by now, they do have a resume that warrants it. And so the only real drama going into the Big 12 tournament is just a question of, is there some wild scenario where the NCAA comes up with a verdict before Oklahoma State uh, gets to Selection Sunday? I don't see that happening. I don't think the NCAA in this year wants the bad PR of banning Oklahoma State a week before the tournament when they're probably already on a flight and in Kansas City. I also think, let's be perfectly honest, the NCAA wants Cade Cunningham, the future number one overall pick in the NCAA tournament. They want the money. They want the revenue. They want the eyeballs. They want the interest, especially if Oklahoma State goes on a little run. I guess I would also say that is in and of itself kind of an interesting conversation is what is going to go on with Cade Cunningham. He's coming off an ankle injury, did not play. Credit to Oklahoma State, who still won against West Virginia at West Virginia to close the regular season. Uh, just an incredible performance and an incredible finish to the season for Oklahoma State, which brings us to a couple other things. First of all, bubble talk. I don't really know that there's much to say about the, the bubble in the Big 12. It, it, there are seven teams that are very comfortably in. Those seven teams, for people who do not know, Baylor, Texas, Texas Tech, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas, and who is the last one? Who am I missing? Who is the last one? Who am I missing? I can't think off the top of my head. Let's see. Baylor, Texas, Texas Tech, really bad radio, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. How can I forget Bob Huggins? Huggy Bear. So there are seven teams that are very comfortably in. Again, Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma. And so no bubble teams. And I think that brings me to the odds, but also what I'm just excited about, which is watching all of these great teams. And I think there are, if you don't believe that Baylor is going to go three for three, I think there's a lot of teams that are worth uh, you know considering in terms of betting odds. First of all, I mentioned Oklahoma State. We don't know the status of Cade Cunningham. My guess is that he will play. It didn't look like it was anything major. They're currently plus 400, and that is a team that, believe it or not, going to the Big 12 tournament, Oklahoma State is actually the second favorite among oddsmakers behind Baylor. Plus 400, and it's with good reason. They've won six out of their last seven going to Kansas City. I would say also West Virginia is playing really well. I would say even though they lost on Saturday to Oklahoma State, that is still a team that has won four of six down the stretch. They obviously gave Baylor everything they can handle. I mentioned Oklahoma State playing phenomenal basketball. Their only losses down the stretch at Kansas, uh, at Baylor. Other than that, they've been beating everybody, sweep Oklahoma, everything like that. But I will say if you're looking for a pseudo long shot, I'd honestly probably go with Kansas. Uh, they're plus 700, so what that means is, again, you bet $1 to win seven. Um, but when you look at the actual odds, they are actually the fourth favorite, fifth, fra fifth favorite, excuse me, behind 
Baylor, Texas, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. But this is a team that has played as well as anybody down the stretch here, uh, having won uh, six of the, seven of their last eight. They did struggle with UTEP. They actually played an out-of-conference game this year, but they, of course, just beat Baylor, just beat Oklahoma State. And in terms of uh, a situation where we're talking about the teams that uh, uh, could win it outside of Baylor, I do think Kansas is the best bet. But with that said, with that said, I would still take Baylor as the favorite. They are just so good. They are so dominant. They struggled those two games coming out of the COVID break, but they have been great the last three games winning at West Virginia, beating Oklahoma State at home, dominating Texas Tech late. And to me, Baylor is the rightful favorite in this conference tournament. All right, let's move to the Big Ten, where the favorite is, despite the fact that they lost on Sunday, the, the favorite's still Michigan. And I will say on this one, uh, the odds are provided via BetMGM. There was no odds on my bookie when I actually started recording this podcast. So Michigan is the favorite. Um, but listen, we, we know the deal with, with this conference. Michigan is the favorite, deservedly so, but Illinois is playing really well. Iowa is playing really well. We'll get to them in a minute. Purdue is actually playing really well. Nobody's talking about them. So this will be, in my opinion, probably right up there with the Big 12 in terms of the most exciting and most entertaining conference tournaments. Michigan does come in as the favorite, though. From there, what is the biggest storyline? I'll tell you what it is. I would say it's history. Its history is going down as one of the greatest conferences in the history of college basketball, and let me explain why. First of all, I would say back in January, maybe early February, I thought they might actually set a different kind of history in a positive way, tying the 2011 Big East. The 2011 Big East had the most NCAA tournament bids ever with 11, and I really thought the Big Ten might get there. Now, as of late, uh, Indiana has struggled, obviously. Minnesota has struggled, obviously. So that history will not be at stake. But what could absolutely be in play is this. Never has one conference gotten two number one seeds and two number two seeds into the NCAA tournament. And when I look at where we are at, you look at bracketology, it's going to happen for the Big Ten. I'm almost positive. I feel almost certain that it will happen because – I don't see any scenario where even if Michigan were to lose their opener, I don't see the scenario where they're not a number one seed. And I think Illinois has all but clinched a number one seed, obviously winning at Michigan, winning at Ohio State, um, you know, beating a lot of good teams late in the season. I don't really see the scenario where Illinois does anything, even if they were to lose their conference tournament opener, which we'll get into in a minute. When you're talking about a team that won at Wisconsin, at Michigan, at Ohio State to close the season, I do believe Illinois will be a number one seed. And then on the two line, Ohio State is still trending to be there. Iowa is still trending to be there. And I'll say this, I don't think it's out of the question that Purdue, they would have to maybe win the conference tournament, but I think they could potentially be in the mix. But we're talking about Michigan and Illinois as number ones. Iowa and Ohio State is number two. That has never been done before uh, in conference tournament history. So for me, the most interesting storyline is can the Big Ten create history, two number ones, two number twos, and then just in general, this tournament is going to be awesome. That's the other big storyline, much like the Big 12. This tournament's just going to be awesome. I mean, you look at the, the, the potential setup of games. I mean, it's just absurd. Michigan obviously having the one seed, but Illinois being two. But you, you go beyond that, and you, you look at teams that are playing well. Iowa, uh, Iowa has won... Uh, six out of their last seven. The only one, the only one they lost was to 
excuse me, the only one they lost was at Michigan where everybody lost up until the final week of the season. Michigan State's playing well. I don't think they're going to win it, but they're, they're playing well. They just beat Illinois and Michigan to close the season, so it's not as though it's inconceivable. And then, like I said, I don't think people realize how well Purdue is playing. They won five, their, their last five and six out of their last seven. The one they lost, I watched that entire game. It was at Minnesota. That was a game they easily could have won. But I just think you are going to have some great matchups, great games, great teams when you talk about Michigan, Illinois, Purdue, Ohio State, Iowa, etc. In terms of the bubble, what I would say is that we all know what's at stake here, right? I think Michigan pretty safely played themselves off the bubble over the course of the last few weeks of the season. They won against Michigan to close the regular season on Sunday for people who did not see it. They beat Ohio State. They beat Illinois. Those are wins. I don't know that anybody has the wins to match what Michigan State has done, especially beating Illinois and Michigan, who are both potential number one seeds. So they are off the bubble. And then off the bubble in the other direction and not in a positive way is Indiana, which was uh, at one point they were 12-9 and nine overall. They lose five straight to close the regular season. And they are going to need a major run. So they are obviously completely off the bubble. They will need a major, major, major run. They will open on Thursday. And even if they were to win that game, they would have to beat Illinois on Friday. My guess is they would even have to win another game after that, which would probably involve beating Iowa. So we're talking about beating at least your first round opponent, beating Illinois and beating Iowa just to be in consideration for an NCAA tournament bid. And even that might not be enough. You might actually have to win the conference tournament overall. It's very much the same with Minnesota. How bad did it get for Minnesota? There is only one game to open the conference tournament and it will include Minnesota playing Nebraska on, I guess it's Wednesday. So that's the bubble situation in terms of long shots. Um, you know, different odds in different places. I would say Purdue 10-1 to 1 is probably my favorite bet. I don't think that they will get there, but I do think that that is probably the best bet that I have seen so far. Um, in terms of others, I did see BetMGM um, has... Illinois at plus 350 to win the Big Ten, which is insane to me. I think they should probably be co-favorites uh, along with Michigan, but plus 350, I know the odds aren't great, but to me, that is the best value that you are going to get. And then finally, in terms of winning the conference tournament, I probably would have said Michigan. I understand they lost a couple games late. They did lose to Illinois. They got embarrassed. They did lose to Michigan State on senior night. But when I look at this team, I still think they're the best team in the Big Ten. But with that said, their starting guard, Eli Brooks, gets hurt on Sunday. We don't know about his availability. So I would probably take Illinois. I will take them to win. Io DeSumo is back. They are playing so well, playing as well as anybody in college basketball. They will obviously have a really, really, really tough path to uh, a potential, um, you know, they probably have a really tough path to a potential title game. They would have to beat Iowa, excuse me, in the, in the second round. They'd have to beat potentially Indiana. And then, of course, probably Michigan to win it all. But Illinois is the team that I like. Very quickly, let's wrap with the Pac and the Big uh, Pac-12 and the SEC. Uh, starting with the Pac-12, what I would say is, I'll just be brutally honest with you guys. You guys know I keep it real, right? Well, I'll just tell you straight up, 
As I record here, Oregon is still playing Oregon State. Uh, I was not going to wait for an 8 p.m. Eastern tip-off and wait till about 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific to start recording. If that makes me a really bad human being, then so be it. But I bring all this up to say that uh, and when it comes to the Pac-12, as I'm recording, it's not official that Oregon is the Pac-12 regular season champions, but they are up comfortably at halftime, and so I'm going to say that. But despite that, and what's kind of a little bit surprising, the actual favorite coming into this thing, according to both my bookie and BetMGM, is actually USC at plus 180. Don't know if I agree with that, but I will get into it. Um, biggest storyline, you know, listen, I don't think there's a ton. To me, the biggest storyline with the Pac-12, and we'll blow through the Pac-12 because the Pac-12, like the Big 12, is pretty set. Not a lot of bubble stuff to get into, but the biggest storyline is I just think will Oregon stay hot? Because Oregon is a team that coming into Sunday had won nine of their last ten. Their only loss was straight off of a COVID pause. And I look, or excuse me, to, to USC a couple games after a COVID pause. But I look at this team, and I just think they are so built to win in March. First of all, Dana Altman's a great coach. We all know that. But they have a guard named Chris Duarte, who is just a playmaker off the dribble. I mean, he is a guy that can single-handedly carry you to victories. He has done that for Oregon over the last couple weeks. They also have a four named Eugene Omayori. They have a transfer from St. John's named LJ Figueroa. And that is a pretty nasty three-headed monster. I'll tell you this. You want to look at futures for teams that could make deep runs into the tournament and maybe a hedge off of it, or maybe you can get a Final Four bet. I think Oregon is a team that I don't know that they'll beat Baylor, they'll beat Gonzaga or whoever. I think they can play with them, though. And so I saw when I was in Vegas this weekend, uh, South Point Casino had Oregon at 50-1. to 1. That is a team that I could see in a Final Four. And so if you're looking for long shot Final Four teams, that is definitely one. In terms of other storylines in the Pac-12, Colorado's kind of an interesting one. I don't think people realize Colorado's a really good team. They've won seven of their last nine. One of those losses was actually to Oregon, so that can be forgiven. You just lost to the conference champ on the road in a game that they largely dominated. But that's just a team that does a lot of little things well. They have a star point guard named McKinley Wright, one of, frankly, the best point guards statistically in the history of the Pac-10, Pac-12. Uh, they also play good defense. They rebound the ball really well. Colorado is a team that I think they could be like a seven seed and make the second weekend. In terms of the bubble, there really isn't any. Stanford was there a while ago. But Stanford is not going to make the NCAA tournament unless they make a deep, deep, deep run. And then the big question for them is, will they get back their star player, Oscar Da Silva, who has been out with injury? I would say in terms of a best long shot bet, I would probably say it is Stanford at 15 to 1 because if they do get Oscar De Silva back, that is a team that beat UCLA during the regular season. They swept Arizona. They played Oregon tough. They beat Colorado. And so this is a team that can play with anybody if they can just get healthy, but I just don't know that they can get healthy. Um, but in terms of uh, long shots, they are the one, but I would still probably just bet Oregon at, at three to one. They're, they're in second place. I do think they're the team that's going to win the conference tournament. USC has taken a step back late. I know they had that crazy buzzer beater to beat UCLA, but the bottom line is they are not playing as well as they were three or four weeks ago. UCLA, I think, is good, but they're a little bit limited. Oregon is my Pac-12 conference tournament champ. And in terms of the Power Fives, let's wrap. Power six, I guess, because there's six with the Big East in college basketball. The SEC, 
Alabama, believe it or not, is actually the favorite at plus 225. Um, you know, listen, I think Arkansas probably should be the favorite. Arkansas has won, what, 10 straight SEC games, 10 of 11 overall. Um, but Alabama's the regular season champ. They, they probably have a little bit of an easier draw. I have no problem with Alabama being the favorite at plus 225. The biggest storyline to me, guys, I'll be honest, I still think it's Kentucky. And I know some of the wins came out of the Kentucky sales over the last few weeks of the season when they lose to uh, when they lose to Florida, when they lose to Ole Miss, and really we thought that maybe they had turned a corner. They end up losing two straight, but I do still look at the SEC and say, look at Kentucky's resume. I'm not saying they should be favored or anything crazy like that, but what I will tell you definitively, they can win this conference tournament. In a lot of ways, I think their opener against Mississippi State is really tough because Mississippi State is just a tough physical team, not the kind of team that you want to play. Um, but when I look at this conference tournament, um, you know, Kentucky, look at their resume. Number three seed in this tournament is LSU. Kentucky beat them. Four seed in this tournament is Tennessee. Kentucky beat them. Five seed in this tournament is Florida. Kentucky beat them. Two seed in this tournament is Arkansas, the hottest team maybe in all of college basketball. Guess what? Kentucky basically had them beat at Rupp Arena. Two free throws from Jalen Tate do clinch the game, but it was a questionable foul call late. Kentucky could have won that game. And then, oh, by the way, the number one seed, Alabama, Kentucky was up four at Alabama and had a chance to beat them as well. So I'm not saying that I think Kentucky will win. Again, I think in a lot of ways that Mississippi State game is not a great matchup for them uh, early in the tournament, but I don't think it's inconceivable. For me, that is a very interesting scenario. I would also say the other thing that interests me personally is Tennessee, man. Like, I just don't know what I'm ever getting from Tennessee. They go 3-3 three and three in their last six games overall, but they close the regular season with a win against Florida. Down early, win by 11. They look like the way they think we're gonna, that we expect them to look. John Fulkerson's crying. He's so excited and so emotional after maybe his final game at Thompson Bowling Arena. That's a team that we all know they have the talent if they show up. I don't think, I haven't seen enough to believe that they can go on some magical run and win a bunch of games, but stranger things have happened. They have the talent. Tennessee, I'm curious to see. I don't think it happens, but I do think it can. Um, in terms of the bubble, listen, it's pretty obvious at this point. Bama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Florida, LSU, and Missouri are in. The only real bubble team in the SEC would probably be Ole Miss. Ole Miss is one of the next four out to their credit, they have actually played very well down the stretch. They've won seven of their last nine. They did obviously not only beat Kentucky this past week, they did sweep Missouri. They've played well of late. But I do still think there's a lot of work to do. One thing Ole Miss has going for them is there's a lot of other teams struggling. Um, and so because of it, I could see the scenario where if, um, you know, these other bubble teams, Seton Hall lose another game, they're out. Uh, you know, some of these Mountain West teams, which we'll talk about in a minute, they lose conference uh, tournament games, they're out. And so Ole Miss, I think they definitely have to win a couple games, but if they can win their opener against South Carolina, which they should, and then they beat LSU in the second round, I think it's very conceivable that they could play their way into the NCAA tournament. And by the way, for everyone who talks about how bad the SEC is this year, seven NCAA tournament teams would not be bad. Six obviously wouldn't be bad either. In terms of the best bet, I'll be honest, I don't think there's a great one. Kentucky at 16-1, to 1, if you want a little bit of a long shot, is probably, in my opinion, the best bet you could make because I do think that they can win this conference tournament. I don't think they will. 
I don't think they should be favored. I don't think they'll. I think they could lose to Mississippi State, as I said a bunch of times. But you're talking about a team at 15 to one to win the conference tournament. I'm sorry, that's good value. If they play this this conference tournament 15 times or 16 times, I think it's actually 16 to one. They play this conference tournament 16 times. You mean to tell me Kentucky can't win one of them? I'm not telling you to put $1,000 down, but go to my bookie, throw down 10 bucks, use the promo code Torres, they'll make it 20, whatever. Do that, and I think there's a real chance that Kentucky could conceivably, as the best bet on the board, win the conference tournament. Don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's the best bet. Other than that, LSU at 10 to 1 is kind of interesting to me, but I would still go with Arkansas. And in terms of actually winning this conference tournament, I think the answer is Arkansas. Not a homer thing, not because I know Eric Musselman. I think Alabama's been really good. I think LSU, when they want to play, is a really, really, really tough out. I think Mike White has done as well of a job as anybody could do this year. I think that Tennessee has a bunch of talent. But what I know is that there's nobody in college basketball really playing better than Arkansas right now. I know it was a a narrow win over Texas A&M over the weekend, but a team that's won 10 straight SEC games, 10 of 11, beaten everybody you'd want to see them beat, beat LSU, beat Alabama, uh, 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 all these great wins, I think Arkansas should be the favorite at the SEC tournament. Finally, what I'll just tell you is straight up, a couple other conference tournaments worth watching. The the A-10 is actually going to have their final on Sunday. They've already played everything else, VCU versus St. Bonaventure. I think both those teams should be in, no question in my mind. Uh, the Mountain West is really interesting. I'll just tell you this. Mountain West is really, really, really good. I think there are four teams in the Mountain West that can not only make the tournament, but win a game once they get there. And what's kind of interesting about the Mountain West, they all do it a little bit differently. San Diego State is probably the most traditionally built, big, athletic, tough, skilled, guard, shooting. They're a team, by the way, seven seed. You don't want to see them as a two seed if, if they're the seven seed in your bracket. Boise has a true star in Derek Alston. Derek Alston will be drafted by the NBA this year. Colorado State... Not super athletic, but skilled, shoots the three ball well. All five guys, kind of a new age pass, dribble, shoot kind of team. And then Utah State's the exact opposite. They don't have great guard play, but they rebound the crap out of the ball. They're physical as heck. And Utah State is a team that if they get to the NCAA tournament, they get to the right matchup, even as a 12 seed, 11 seed, they can win at least one NCAA tournament game. And I would also say, by the way, keep an eye on Nevada in this one. Nevada obviously won that thriller against Colorado State on Friday they have Grant Sherfield, who probably outside of Derek Alston might be the best player in the Mountain West and is a guy worth watching. All right, so I think that's it. I think that's it on the conference tournaments. I said I was going to do five minutes each. We're at 41 minutes. What can I say? The kid likes to talk. But I do think it is time to get to head coach uh, uh, Preston Spratlin. He is, of course, from Moorhead State. Moorhead State was the first team to clinch a conference tournament championship bid by technicality. Liberty did win their conference by default, but Moorhead State's Preston Spratlin will join me. Really fun interview, really dynamic guy, young guy. I mean, if you're looking for the next wave of coaches in college basketball, this guy might be it. He's only 34 years old. Yes, he's making all of us feel old, making myself look in the mirror saying, what have I accomplished at about the same age? Uh, But Preston Spratlin, the head coach of Moorhead State, is joining me momentarily. But before we get to Preston Spratlin, I want to welcome in our new sponsor, Bracket Fanatics. Listen, guys, March is coming, and we're all going to be filling out a tournament bracket, but what is the most annoying part? Well, 
Besides when a 15 seed upsets your national champion in round one, it's the hassle of actually running the bracket pool. We all know how it goes. One guy wants to pay you next week. Another guy says he'll Venmo you in July. You're tallying points at 3 a.m. On and on and on and on and on. It's too much work running a bracket pool. That's why I'm glad to welcome in Bracket Fanatics as our sponsor. Bracket Fanatics and BracketFanatics.com is a true social networking app. And unlike those other loser, archaic, boring, outdated websites like Yahoo, once you log in and set your pool, it's all done. Everybody pays there. You can make side bets with your friends, talk smack, you name it, all in one place. And you don't need some weird email like a Yahoo email. You don't need to chase down Doris from accounting for her last $10. Log in, set the parameters, and then when the tournament is done, payments go straight to winners, and it's all in one place at BracketFanatics and BracketFanatics.com. On top of that, unlike those loser competitors that I just told you about, there are no banner ads, and BracketFanatics will not sell your information to advertisers. So basically, again, you go to BracketFanatics, you set the parameters, and you're done. No chasing anybody down, no tallying points, nothing like that. This is the perfect app for March, and to get started, this is what you need to do. Assemble your crew and get signed up at BracketFanatics.com. Make sure to use the promo code TORRES to win their $1,000 giveaway, which is awarded at the end of the tournament to the bracket with the most wins. Only those who use code TORRES will be entered. Once again, pull up your favorite browser. When you sign up, go to BracketFanatics.com. Use the code TORRES to win a $1,000 prize. So yeah, Bracket Fanatics, great product. And actually, one more note, uh, I did ask them and they confirmed if you are doing a pool without money involved, you can, of course, still sign up for Bracket Fanatics as well. Obviously, they sell that you get all the money in one place, you collect it in one place, you don't have to chase down people. But if you're doing a pool without money like I will be doing, I'll have a great pool through Bracket Fanatics and I encourage all of you to sign up. We're going to have some great, great, great prizes. But Bracket Fanatics is going to be your place, your home for March Madness. So yeah, let's get to Preston Sproutland, the head coach of Moorhead State. Don't really know what I need to say that I haven't already. I'm just so excited to watch this team. Young coach, dynamic coach, fun coach, fun background, 34 years old. I mean, if you're looking for that next wave of college basketball coaching superstars, Preston Sproutland is probably your guy. Before we get to him, I just want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're on the KSR feed, make sure to come on over. Uh, uh, we're doing a, a few shows this month on the KSR feed just to get you guys fired up for the NCAA tournament. So if you're on the KSR feed, make sure that you are subscribing to the Aaron Torres podcast feed. Make sure you rate and review the show. Go ahead and follow me on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, YouTube, and that is all. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And now, let's get to the interview that I did with Moorhead State head coach, Preston Spratlin. All right, joining me via Zoom, Saturday night, you watched it, Moorhead State clinches by technicality, the second NCAA tournament bid this year, but it was really the first one, first conference tournament championship, Liberty advanced. Uh, and then, of course, you guys, Preston Spradlin, head coach, Moorhead State. My man, what's going on? How you doing? Good morning. Good morning, man. Appreciate you uh, for, for having us on and uh, the opportunity to, to uh, talk about our program, tell our players stories a little bit, and just uh, share some stuff about our university, man. I appreciate the opportunity. 
Absolutely. And we're doing this on short notice. I was telling uh, for the audience, I was telling you before, but, uh, you know, I'm watching you guys play on Saturday. Uh, you know, I, I frankly, I, I see that you're following me on social media and vice versa. And I said, let me shoot my shot. Let me hit up Coach Bradlin. And so I appreciate you doing this. And first of all, let me just ask, I mean, the Monday after your first NCAA tournament bid, I know you're trying to keep a little bit of sense of normalcy, but but what has it been like these 36 hours or whatever it's been since you guys did clinch that NCAA tournament birth? You know, it's been it's been great. It's uh it's been busy. You know, I think I had over 400 text messages. Um, and so the the bus ride home yesterday. Uh, from Evansville, I was able to get all of those knocked out um, just before we got off the exit. And uh, we got off the exit yesterday. We were we were meted by uh, um, our police and uh, fire department, and they gave us a police escort and a parade through the main street. And got a lot of fans uh, downtown, a lot of signs, a lot of happy people excited to to welcome our team back. And so. Uh, it's been great, man. You know, it means a lot to me personally, Aaron. You know, I'm from the area here. Um, I've been very fortunate, man, in, in my 12 years in coaching. I've never lived anywhere other than Kentucky. I've never had anything but a Kentucky driver's license. And I'm the most Kentucky person that you're ever going to meet. <laughs> and um, so to, to be the head coach at Moorhead State for me, it's my dream job. It's a blessing. And to be able to bring a championship home to our community in our campus is, uh, is, is really special. Um, and so whatever craziness comes with the, uh, the last 36 or the next 36 hours, man, it's welcomed and, and I'm ready for it. So speaking of craziness, you know, I want to get into this season, but, you know, you got the job kind of uh, on an interim basis at 30 years old. Uh, you know, you're, you're only 34 now. You're making me feel bad about what I'm doing with my life because uh, we're <laughs> about the same age. But, you know, I was just thinking about the idea that, listen, I think everybody uh, – late 20s early 30s thinks that they have life figured out and you know you're you're sitting the one seat over and I could do what he's doing no disrespect to anybody that you've worked for but oh I could do what he's doing did you have a a first moment of oh crap what what did I get myself into because you know 30 years old you're going up against to start your career guys with 20 25 30 more years experience than you uh, what was your first moment either as an intern or when you were named head coach you know 30 31 years old that made you realize what did I get myself into oh man there was, there was a lot of those moments you know um I, I can tell you the uh you know, the first game that I coached as an interim uh, coach when I when I took over for Sean was at Pittsburgh, you know, and so you got you got thrown right into it. My third game that I coached, we were uh, we were at Purdue against one of Matt's really good teams and they beat our brains in by like 35 points. And uh, when I took over, man, we, we were we went on a six game losing streak. And uh, so it was just that whole moment, the pressure of uh you know this is this is hard um and we had to get some things figured out but luckily i had a I had a great uh group of kids we had six seniors that year and uh, we just stayed the course and um you know kept working our plan and what we needed to do and we made that year about those players and their experience and uh, we went on to finish second in the ovc and two all-conference players who graduated six guys had five of them move on to play professionally and then I was, uh, I was very blessed to get the job full time after going through the interview process and following the season. Um, but I've been very fortunate, man. You know, I was ready to to become a head coach because of the guys that I had worked for 
you know, five years with Cal and then uh, two plus years working for Sean here. Um, you know, those guys gave me a great responsibility and respect and uh, that carried over when I got my opportunity to, to, to be the head coach. So for people who don't really know, <clears throat> excuse me, about a ton about the program, it sounds like, you know, year one for you, which, you know, maybe year zero because you weren't the full-time guy, six seniors, and then a uh, couple years where things don't go as planned. And then uh, it takes off like, like wildfire this year. Was that just about kind of rebuilding and, and having a young group and, and kind of growing together? Is that what that was about? Yeah. You know, man, when we, when I took over the program, uh, it was myself, my, my one assistant who's still with me, uh, Jonathan Maddox. And then uh, we had four players when I got the job. Obviously, we graduated six seniors, as we mentioned. The day after I got the job, I walked in, and my best returning player, um, he was a Dominican player who's really good, and he, uh, he said, Coach, I'm turning pro. I'm going home for spring break, not coming back, and we couldn't wow. convince him otherwise. Um, he, he just wanted to, to, to go pro, and so we literally, we had four players. I had one assistant coach at the time, and um, we had a, an abysmal APR. Um, you know, when I had the job in year one, we were we were one transfer away uh, from going on a, a postseason ban. And um, it wasn't all our fault. It, it had a lot to do administratively over a long course of time with progress towards degree and, and different things like that. And then, you know, we had some departures. Uh, we had guys that left for, for various reasons. And and so, uh, you know, the rebuilding process was not just, you know, trying to get to wins. It was trying to get our our academics healthy. It was trying to get our roster healthy. And uh, when you get the job late and you've got four players, you know, you got to go out and get eight, nine, 10 guys. There's not a whole lot available, um, you know, in the experience category. And so we went out and got a bunch of guys and, um, you know, two of the players um, who were, who were in that very first recruiting class are uh, two of our starting guys right now. And so, you know, they deserve so much credit, Aaron, because they've they've been through the fires, man. I mean, we won eight ball games year one. Um, we we had uh, all kinds of issues because we're trying to lay the foundation of our culture of how we're going to do things the right way and hold guys to a high standard. You know, we finished twelfth in the league in year one, and then those guys stuck with us in year two. We went from twelfth to fifth, uh, which was the highest jump in Division One that year, and we won thirteen games. And uh, then we get to year three and we weren't much better. We dropped back down to eighth, uh, 13 games again. And, um, and so then, you know, those guys just stayed the course and we kept believing in what we were doing. And we really invested in our culture of how we were just going to do things the right way. And we were going to win with toughness. And uh, that's been our calling card this year. And that, that's the reason that we've had success. How happy are you for those guys? I mean, because listen, we live in a world now where it's 2021, you know, you don't have success, team's struggling, you just bounce out, hit the transfer portal and go somewhere else. I mean, uh, to have a group that's been with you through bad times and now obviously very good, how happy are you for those guys to have this kind of success? So happy, you know, just so appreciative of them, uh, their families, their coaches, everyone in their circle who circle of influence that got them here with us. And, you know, they were the first guys to believe in, in me and, and our staff and our vision for them and their vision for our program. And so for, to, to watch those guys, you know, cut down the nets um, and celebrate after everything that they've been through, 
um, is a pivotal moment. It really is. You know, um, that, it's funny because I've been getting a hard time from everybody this week because uh, the ESPN announcers, you know, I told them what a great dancer I was. And then when the <laughs> game was over, I didn't dance. You know, I kind of I kind of left them hanging on that. But I was just so taken over, Aaron, with the emotion of our players and uh, those guys that you just mentioned. So uh, Davon Cooper and James Baker are the two guys that we're referring to. And um, just watching those guys climb up the ladder and, uh, and cut down those nets was, was such a special moment for me um, because I know what they've been through and I appreciate uh, their commitment and their sacrifice. So you guys are currently 23 and seven after uh, Saturday night's win was doing a little research because I'll be honest, you know, OVC, try to watch as much as I can but but obviously look I hate to say it I remember opening night on Kentucky real at Kentucky really well uh and was looking a little bit this morning you know you start four and six I'm not great at math but uh, what's that 19 and one over your last 20 or something like that to be 23 and seven as we talk here today when did you feel like or or maybe you knew even before the season how good you could be or how good you were and it was just a, a tough out of conference schedule with Kentucky, Richmond, Clemson, et cetera. But was there a turning point even within this season where you said, oh, my goodness, we're, we're really good. Uh, when was that kind of moment? You know, obviously, you know, we played four top 25 teams at the time that we, that we had a chance to play them. Um, I think that Kentucky game was a big. Uh, eye-opener for us because we have a lot of new guys you know our, our three starting guards um, didn't play for us last year they were on our roster they practiced with us but they redshirted and so uh, we knew how good those guys were but they were shaking the rust off they hadn't played in a year and they hadn't played together and so we were still finding our identity um, you know guys were still figuring out their roles and accepting them and things like that as every team is, is doing and, um, and so, you know, those games were tough, you know, playing really good opponents. You're a little bit outmatched at that point in the year. Um, but if you're not together as a team just yet, it, it really makes it hard. It makes it hard. And so, um, you know, our third game of the year, we played Arkansas State here at home. Had a, had a great game. Janai, our big guy, our freshman, uh, had a real breakout. He had 25 and 12. And I think at that point we said, you know what? Uh, the Kentuckys of the world, the, the Richmonds of the world, those are going to be tall orders. Uh, but when we play like-level opponents, uh, mid-major teams, I think we're going to be okay. And uh, we just kept getting better. But I tell you what, when we played Clemson on uh, December 21st, um, we at that day, we had played more games than anybody in the country. Really? And what a blessing that was. We had played more games than anyone in the country at that point in time. And with that, we were exhausted. We were so tired, like guys were mentally, physically exhausted. And we had went to great lengths to let our guys go home for Christmas and to do it safely. And so they all got to go home after the Clemson game for four days. We came back and then we had a whole week to work on us uh, where we didn't talk about an opponent. And we had all kinds of great information, obviously, from the, the games that we had played against really good opponents about what direction we needed to move and how we needed to do things. And so we tweaked our offense, we tweaked our lineup, we did some things a little bit different. And, um, and then we, you know, we go and we win at Murray State uh, for the first time in, in 18 years for a program and go on a 12-game winning streak. And so that was a real pivotal moment for us uh, that our guys just, they, they stayed in, they kept things in perspective, okay? And they said, listen, um, you know, they really have listened to what I've told them and I appreciate it so much because it's hard to do, especially when you're, listen, when you're losing. 
is, you know, I'm not always going to judge our performance based on the final score. Um, you know, we go up and we play Ohio State, who's a top five team, top 10 team right now. We played really well. I don't even remember what the final score was, but if you're looking at it as a fan, you're going to say really well. You think that's really well? No, we played really well against that team and, um, and we got better. And it gave us an opportunity to come back and learn from it. And I don't think had we played the Kentuckys and Richmonds, Ohio States and uh, Clemsons of the world, I don't know that we would have continued to got better and had the humbleness that, we, that we've had to experience this run that we're on right now. How, how much extra special is it in a season like this? And I, I go back to uh, even when Alabama won the football national championship, Nick Saban 70 years old, multiple national championships said he had never been through anything like this and how proud he was of his guys for everything that they had to do. I mean, he, he said, I've never been more proud of a group. And, and maybe in a lot of ways, it brought us closer together because of everything that we had to overcome. So one, how proud are you? And two, I mean, in kind of an incredible twist, I mean, you said, first of all, you played whatever it is, 30 full games of full games, a full slate of the season. You said that by Christmas, you had played more than any anybody in the country. That's kind of incredible to think about. And this is no disrespect to Moorhead or, or the OVC or anything. But, uh, you know, obviously, you guys maybe don't have some of the advantages that a Power 5 and ACC and SEC a Big 12 school has. I think that in and of itself in this season is kind of an incredible story to get you to this point. You're, you're exactly right. And so we even put that in perspective to the guys uh, before we left to go to the conference tournament that I, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but I'm going to be pretty close with it, that we were one of 30 teams who had played all 27 games. Wow. Without a cancellation. And we had gone through the season without a pause. And so, uh, you know, who deserves the credit for that? Uh, mainly the players. And so, uh, you know, the things that, you know, anybody that, that wins a championship is going to tell you, you know, they, they're going to throw out key words like we do. You know, we've got a culture wall that says, you know, trust, commitment, accountability, discipline, respect. Well, all of those words were not just applied on a daily basis this year to basketball, but they were applied to social life. Um, you, you know, how you conducted yourself, how you kept yourself and your teammates healthy. And uh, I tell you, I just I respect our team so much. I mean, I was 18, 20 years old as well. You were too. Let's not yep. kid ourselves, man. Like we weren't the most disciplined people. We didn't, we weren't sacrificed. Like what were, what were you going to sacrifice? Maybe you're going to, you know, uh, you sacrifice some sleep for a good time. That's the only thing you knew how to sacrifice <laughs> then, you yep. know, let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves here, but these guys have done an unbelievable job. And um, I, I tell you, they deserve so much credit and it does mean more in a year like this. You know, these guys didn't celebrate after wins. Yeah. They went at curfew. They went to their dorms. That's what mm -hmm. they did. Um, you know, our guys haven't eaten in a restaurant since June. Wow. They're not eating in a restaurant. They don't go to the movies. They don't do anything like that. And so uh, in a lot of ways, you know, it has brought us closer together. We spend so much time together. And I can tell you this, Aaron, there's no team in the country that has more fun than our team. I promise you that. There's no way. I wouldn't believe. I mean, we have fun, man. How do you keep fun without all of the non-traditional fun things like the get-togethers, the movies, the team dinners, things like that? Sure. Well, we do that. We do it. Um, you know, every road trip when we travel, um, we don't go out to a restaurant anymore, but we order food and we bring it to the hotel. We space out and we sit in there for like an hour and a half to two hours 
We eat, we laugh, we joke, and we don't even talk about basketball. We have rankings about like who's the, you know, who's got the messiest room, who's the funniest guy on the team. The guys get up and do impressions of me when I get mad, you know, whatever it is, man. We just, yeah. we have so much fun and we, and the players refer to it as our family time. Um, you know, we do other stuff like, you know, I'm a big film guy. We're going to learn after every game watching film. I cut the film up myself. Um, but, you know, we do stuff like, you know, not every and every game, but most games like we're going to I'm going to throw a movie clip in, you know, in the in the middle of a film session just to keep the guys engaged, just to keep them laughing, keeping it fun. Um, you know, we're really big on coaching our bench, you know, making sure that our bench has unbelievable energy. And so when we're watching film the next day and, and there's a great play that happens. Um, and our bench jumps up and does something you, you can bet I'm going to make you get up and reenact what you did on the bench players, <laughs> coaches, managers, everybody, myself included. Um, and so, man, we just keep it fun. Why not? Right. Basketball is supposed to be fun. Um, it can't be a grind all the time, especially in a year like this, because here's the thing, these guys, these, these student athletes, they don't have a release. Like if they have a bad practice, what's going to be their, their outlet, go sit in the room, get on social media. Like you can't do it. So it's gotta be fun. And um, I think another part of that, too, is this came from my assistant, Dominic Lombardi. He said, we have to redefine the definition of fun for our team. OK, and so we have painted the picture and we've gotten it in, into their minds that fun is getting better. And how do you get better? Well, you do things that are hard. You challenge yourself. You compete. Um, and so that's part of the definition of fun for us every day. So I guess having fun coming in and getting better every day, doing doing things that are difficult. And, um, you know, practice is fun. Like, you know, a lot, I know a lot of coaches don't like players, you know, talking trash and doing all that. And, you know, I've, I've kind of had my moments where I don't like that sometimes as well. But, like, that's who players are, right? And, and as long as they don't cross a line with it, I'm okay with it. Because, like, if you came to our practices, you'd be like, holy cow, like, these dudes are competitive. They're talking trash to each other. Like, they're going nuts. They're getting after it. And that's how we play. That's how we play. And um, we got a great group, man. But uh, winning a championship in a year like this, it really means a lot. And I got to just for our community, you know, our community's been through a ton. You know, just last week, Eastern Kentucky um, is going through devastating flooding. People are losing their homes. Um, you, you know, obviously the pandemic, we've got players on our team who have lost uh, loved ones to COVID. Uh, you know, it's, it's impacted everyone. And so for our community, people have lost jobs, uh, to bring a championship home right now, uh, the, 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 the pouring out from our community of what it's meant to them, uh, for the season that we've had has, uh, has been really special. It really has. Very good. couple questions. I'll let you go. You're a busy man here. Um, so the first one, Janae Broom, you mentioned, um, um, dominant. Freshman, uh, what, how did you guys find this guy, man? I mean, I, I know maybe – I think he's grown a little bit maybe since he got to you guys or since he committed, but I'll tell you, um, you know, I don't want to – it's a weird comparison, but I remember talking to Matt Murray over – or Matt, Matt Murray over at Murray State. I, Murray State's head coach – I'm blanking on his name right now, but anyway – uh, about John Morant, how they found him, all that stuff. And uh, 
You know, I, I was just having flashbacks watching you guys on Saturday night. I know one's a big guy, one's a guard, uh, all that stuff. I'm not making the perfect analogy here, but uh, where'd you find them? How do you end up uh, with you guys at Moorhead? You know, pretty similar to uh, to Matt, you know, finding job. You know, he was, uh, he, you know, he wasn't a highly recruited guy. Um, you know, my my assistant, uh, Dominic Lombardi, spent time at South Florida. And, um, and, and while he was down there, he got a lot of great recruiting contacts. And so when you go out in the summer, you know, that's what your assistants do, right? They hit up all their contacts, they get names of players, and then you go on the road and you go watch them play. And uh, we saw Janai and said, man, this is a kid that we can get. Um, he's got a chance to be really good. You know, he's 6'10", he's got great hands, he's got great feet, he's as skinny as a rail, he really doesn't know how to play hard just yet. So if we can put some weight on him and, and we can get him playing with a high motor, we might have something really good here. And um, so we recruited him hard and we do that with everybody. We don't recruit a hundred players, Aaron. Like we zero in on the ones we really want. They're not just going to be talented. You know, they're going to be, they're going to check other boxes, you know, high character, good family, all those things. And Janai, he certainly checked all those boxes. And so thankfully he and his family, uh, they're, they're very loyal. And uh, they bought into our vision for him and for our program and, um, and, and committed and signed early with us. And, uh, you know, we got Janai to campus. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that he was going to be as good as he was this early. But uh, the, the separator for him is he's humble and he's got toughness. And so when you're humble, you're willing to learn, right? You're willing to take coaching um, and you're willing to challenge yourself every day. And that, that dude's tough now. He's tough. Like, he, he lined up the very first day. We had individual workouts. And we've got kids every year that don't make it through that first individual workout without going and having a conversation with a garbage can or something like that. But he made it through. And then we played one-on-one -on -one at the end of it. He's going against two veteran big guys who got 30 pounds on him. And he was giving them buckets. And we're like, what do we have here? Like, this kid, you know, we get him a little stronger. He's going to be special. You know, he made his first mile time. This dude ran a mile in five minutes and 50 seconds. Wow. It's first time he made it. And I mean, and, and so that's toughness. You know what I'm saying? And we value that. Uh, but he's an unbelievable kid. You know, kid had a 4.0 his first semester of college. And uh, it's because he works. You know, he listens. He cares. He's a great teammate. Uh, he's so much fun to be around. Um, but he's, he's special. He, he's special. He really is. And, and uh, I'm super proud of him. Uh, and he's enjoyed a, an unbelievable freshman season. First of all, Matt McMahon, I, I've talked to him like three times on this show. I, I text yeah. him all the time. Matt McMahon, Coach McMahon, I apologize, Murray State. So I apologize. It's uh, 7 a.m. here on the West Coast. My brain is not firing on all cylinders yet. Uh, I just want to ask you as we wrap up here, you mentioned working for Coach Cal. And I was looking, you know, your first year really as a grad assistant, was that John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Patrick Patterson team? I call it the one and fun team because they were one of the funnest teams that I've ever uh, covered or, or followed watching college basketball. But first of all, you know, you were, I think, new to D1 at that point. Did you just walk in the gym the first time and think that that's how everybody, every D1 team looks? Or did you realize right away, <laughs> like, this is something different here. We have a chance to do some real special stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, being from Kentucky, as I mentioned, uh, getting your start to work at the University of Kentucky means a lot. And uh, to get to do it with someone like Cal, um, who just is as great as he is, Hall of Famer, 
um, to work under him and then get to be around just unbelievable players, those guys that you mentioned. No, I think I wasn't that naive to think every college team looked quite like that one. And once we started playing people, uh, I've certainly realized that not every team looked like those guys. But, man, I was so fortunate to be around uh, so many great players and, and be a part of their their story and their time at Kentucky, the coaches, the people at Kentucky. Those people are just they're, they're wonderful. And they've had a huge impact on my life and, and obviously my coaching career. So I'm forever grateful for all of them. Um, but. It, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite an experience, man. And, and you know, I'm, I'm the most Kentucky guy that you're ever going to meet. I've never lived anywhere else. Um, I love bourbon. I love uh, I love basketball. I mean, you know, you name it. This is uh, that's me. And so, uh, you know, I can't say it enough how how uh, honored I am uh, to bring a championship home to the mountains and, and bring it here to Morehead State. Very good. I had a couple more questions on Coach Cal, but that seems like a good way to uh, to wrap things up here. Preston Spradlin, the head coach, Moorhead State. Uh, we'll all be watching Selection Sunday and, of course, uh, over these next couple days and weeks and who knows. And 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 obviously, like we said, uh, you know, you got a lot of guys uh, coming back next year. The future appears to be bright. So we're excited to kind of continue to follow uh, your journey that's all I got, Coach. I genuinely appreciate the time. I know it's a very, very, very busy time for you, and I appreciate you making some time. No, man, thank you. I appreciate it for uh, letting us talk about our program and our university. We have a great university here. There's students from all over the country, and hopefully uh, having success in, in, in March Madness will continue to bring them here to, uh, to Moorhead State.